0: Welcome to the Pursuing Faith podcast, where we explore questions of faith, doubt, and life. I am your host, Dominic Doan. Hey, everyone. Well, I hope you're having a great day wherever you're listening to this from. And today, I wanted to do something different. I'm actually curious to hear... uh, how you guys feel about this. But as we go through season two, as I mentioned last episode, I'm going to be uploading uh, this series uh, that I'm calling Questions, where we're going to be grappling with kind of these gritty, raw, sometimes philosophical questions about our faith. But then from time to time, like I'm going to do today, I, w- I just want to upload. And share with you an encouragement from Scripture. Now, you might be like Dom, I've heard way too many of your sermons. Don't do that. <laughs> or maybe you're like, Yeah, that's great. Um, but I, and the reason why is because I feel like one of the best ways to to get through seasons of doubt, when our faith is struggling, is to be in the Word of God. And this morning I was up early, I'm about to get on the plane, I'm heading to the West Coast, which as I shared last episode, uh, we're doing some Pursuing Faith events, at Southern California, Southern Oregon, doing a mini conference, uh, speaking into church this Sunday in Portland, and you can follow along if you're interested at our website, pursuingfaith.org. But I'm about to go on this trip, and I was reading in Ephesians 1 early this morning, and it just was like... So encouraging to me that I was like, I want to share it with my Pursuing Faith family. And so my prayer, my hope is that this uh, message would just encourage and inspire you today because God's word is so beautiful. It's so thought provoking. And, And this one comes from Ephesians chapter one. In verse seven, it says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And then if you skip down to verse 10, it says, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus. And when I read that, one of the things that first jumped at me was that word Redemption. You know, redemption, it it just means to set a prisoner free. And that's what God has done with me. That's what he's done with you. I think back to your story, how before you knew Jesus, you were in chains, you were addicted, you were struggling, you were in darkness, you were lost but then you heard the gospel and it liberated you. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He set you free, he broke the chains, he opened the prison doors. Every single one of us who know Jesus, we have a story of redemption. And lately I've just been so grateful for the miracle of redemption. I was thinking back to my own story and some, some of you know this, I wasn't raised in a Christian home at least the first half of my childhood. Born in England, raised in Southern California. And my parents, when I was younger, just went through a really hard time. My dad was struggling with alcoholism. And at one point my parents were separated. They were kind of on a path towards divorce. My dad was in San Diego. We're living in Vista, California. And when I was 10 years old, my mom heard the gospel. She gave her life to Jesus. She then shared with me and my sister. She sent us off to a church camp. And I remember hearing the gospel for the very first time. And it's just something in my heart gave way, hearing about God's love, hearing about this word redemption. I remember raising my hand and saying the prayer and asking Jesus into my life. And I remember coming back home and my mom telling me and my sister, look, we need to pray for redemption for your dad. Every single night for months, we got on our knees, we prayed for my dad, we prayed for healing, we prayed for a miracle. I mean, if you knew the state of our family back then, if you knew just how much brokenness was in our family back then, it would have been a complete miracle for for God to intervene. But that's what he did. One night my dad came over with tears in his eyes. He's like, I need to give my life to God. He sat on the back porch of our house, opened up his heart to Jesus. And my parents miraculously, their marriage was preserved. My dad came back home. We started going to church. A few years later, my dad became a pastor. It was just this crazy, crazy story. And lately, I've just been thinking, wow, it's a miracle, this, this word redemption, to, to set a prisoner free. That's what he's done with you. That's what he's done with me. And here's what's so beautiful about these verses that I read to you, and this is what I hope can really just encourage you today, is that Paul says what God has done for you is actually just a microcosm of what he's someday going to do for the entire world. In verse 10, he says, someday he's going to bring unity To all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is so beautiful. Even as God has redeemed you and rescued you and saved you, we were messed up. We were. In darkness, we were struggling, we were hurting, but then the gospel brought grace and healing and redemption. That is what God is going to do with the entire world. He will bring unity to all things. And, and this word unity, by the way, is so interesting. In, in the original language, the Greek, um, it's actually it was a mathematical word, and it was used to describe when someone solves an equation. Now, I don't know about you, but I am absolutely dreadful at math. Like, Terrible! I've always hated it. In fact, I remember when my daughter Amelia was 11 and one night she's doing homework. She's sitting at the kitchen table and she's like, dad, can you help me with this equation? And I sit down and I, like, oh yeah, no big deal. I can do it. And I sit down and I was completely stumped, which it's always a bad sign. And it's really humbling when you're not able to solve a sixth grade math problem. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. And I'm trying to figure this equation out. and Finally, she's like, Dad, you're a disaster. Let me try. You're a disaster. And 30 seconds later, she actually figured it out. And I I remember just looking at the piece of paper with the solved riddle the numbers that she'd written down, like, oh, suddenly it all made sense. I'm like, oh, that's why, that's the answer to the problem. That's why it didn't make sense to me. It's kind of funny in retrospect when you see the answer, how it makes sense of a confusing confusing equation. And Paul says, that is what God is going to do with the world. Now, I, I find this fascinating because we look at the world right now and it's kind of like an unsolved equation, isn't it? Man, there's so many unanswered questions. There's so much pain. There's so much struggle. There's so much heartache. There's so much that people are going through right now. We're looking for the answer. We want God to make sense of it all. In fact, in Romans 8, it says that all of creation is groaning. And we are groaning because we're longing for the redemption of all things. Now, do you ever just wake up in the morning and groan? That was kind of me this morning, actually. Woke up super early and just like, ugh, right? We groan. I'm not just talking about the groaning of getting older or not having eight cups of of coffee first thing. I'm talking about the groaning that we all feel when we see the brokenness that's in the world. You look at the pandemic and it's like, oh, you groan. Because you know things aren't meant to be this way. As I look out this window right now, recording in Colorado, I can barely see like a quarter mile because this heavy smoke is coming from California and Oregon. You you look at the world and man, you see extinction of animals or floods or wildfire and, and you groan. You're like, oh God, this is an equation that needs an answer. Or you look at the state of the church nationally and you're like, oh Lord, bring revival. Or you look at how much money you have in savings. Do you ever just groan? You're like, oh, provide. Or do you look at our political system? And sometimes all you can do is groan. You're like, oh, there's so much division. Paul says we groan. Why? Because we're longing for the day of redemption. We groan along with creation because we know that the world is not as it should be. You know, we look at creation and, and it feels like, It's like a bombed out cathedral that's wanting to be rebuilt. It's like an empty chalice that's longing to be filled. It's like a a painting that isn't quite finished yet. Years ago, I had a chance to go to the Sistine Chapel in Italy. Have you ever gone there? I mean, it's amazing. And I remember walking to the Sistine Chapel. I knew I was going to see the works of Michelangelo, but what I wasn't prepared for is how absolutely stunning it was. I mean, these works, it's like nine different scenes from the book of Genesis. And he spent four years creating it. And when you walk in, it it takes your breath away. Not just because it's so vivid and colorful, but just the, the way he designed it, the story that it tells. It's like 3D instead of 2D. But what many people didn't know, in fact, I didn't know until I found out when I was there, that there are many, many years in art history, in the Sistine Chapel, when people looked at the works of Michelangelo and they're like, oh, he's an okay painter. He's all right. Maybe he's more a master of form, but, you know, these works are are just, they're just decent. And the reason they thought that is because as years went by and the centuries went by, the paintings began to be covered up with dust and soot from wax and candles and the grime of Rome. And it just kind of seeped up into the ceiling and it began to cloak the vibrant colors of the paintings. So you'd walk in, you're like, oh, it's, it's okay. It's an okay work. Well, in 1979, the Vatican decided, you know, we need to clean these things. They spent nine years restoring the works of Michelangelo. They applied this chemical compound And bit by bit, it took away the layers of dirt. So you walk in now and it's stunning. It's vivid. It's how it originally was painted to be. In many ways, we look at the world right now Or you might look at your life right now or what you're going through right now. You you look at the division, the heartache, the pain, the pandemic, all the stuff that's going on. We're like, Lord, would you just restore it? Would you heal it? And this is the promise of scripture. God says, someday that is what I'm going to do. I will, just like I've restored you, just like I've redeemed you, just like I saved you, just like I rescued you. I'm going to rescue and heal and restore all of creation. Habakkuk 2 says, As the water covers the sea, the earth will be filled with the beauty and glory of the Lord. All things will be brought to unity to Jesus. So what what does that mean for us today? Simply this. Number one, I think it means we have hope (laughs) that what we're seeing right now in the world, in our life, it's not the end of the story but, but another insight that I want to share with you from this is that if this is the end game if God is in the process of unifying all things in Jesus then I think it means we have to ask ourselves a couple questions first of all, are there places in our life that aren't unified with Jesus? Are, are there places in our life that God's like hey I want to redeem that I want to restore that but but, you need to give it to me. You need to surrender it to me. Is there anything in your life that in order to reflect the story that God is writing, that you need to give to him even now as you listen to this? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's content you're consuming. Maybe it's unhealthy dating relationship. Fill in the blank. But it's something in your life you're like, oh, this isn't really what God designed for me or for my life. God's healing all things, restoring all things, renewing all things. But man, there's something in my life right now that is kind of the antithesis of that. If the end game is God unifying all things, we need to ask the question, is there anything in my life that isn't reflecting that vision? But the the second question that we need to ask is, if God is unifying all things, then it means that everything in our life matters. And this was so encouraging to me as I was thinking about it today. Everything matters. Do you ever just go through life and you're like, does this really matter? Does this job really matter? Does this relationship really matter? Do the things I read really matter? The things I watch on TV, does it matter? Does... Doing chores around the house matter. You know, just the the details of life, the small things of life. Does it really matter? Well, if what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2 is true, if God is unifying all things, yes, your life matters. Your career matters. Your relationship matters. Where you go online matters. How you treat your enemy matters. Your work ethic matters. The decision you make matters. Everything that we do Even the things that we think are mundane and boring, from God's perspective, he says, no, even that is gonna be restored. Even that is part of the masterpiece I'm painting. Even that is part of the equation that I'm solving. Even the small things. I think of Moses who, he saw a bush that was burning. He's like, I'm gonna go check it out. And he walked up to it and it was just a bush. And God spoke to him through it. And he's like, the place where you stand is holy ground. And for Moses, holy ground, that that was just where he walked. That was his job, right? He was a shepherd for 40 years. He'd walk that ground. It's just ordinary dirt. And God said, no, this ground that you think is just ordinary is holy ground. Do you realize that? Right now, whatever you're doing, working out, driving to work, doing the dishes, relaxing on the couch, whatever you're doing right now, it is holy ground. It's part of the story God is writing in your life. It's part of the masterpiece that he's painting. It's the equation that he's solving. Everything in your life matters. This is why Paul says, we were chosen in verse four. He says, we were chosen for this before the foundation of the world. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, he was a English preacher years ago. He said, I'm so glad God chose me before the foundation of the world because if he chose me after I'd lived a while, he may not have chosen me. But God chose you. Why? Because there's a vision that he has for you. Everything that you do matters for God. So let me just leave you with this quote. This is from N.T. Wright. He's a He's a theologian. He said, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little more bearable until the day we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we call building for God's kingdom. Everything in your life matters. God is writing a story, painting a masterpiece, solving an equation. And we groan for that day when it's going to be complete. But until that day, what you're doing right now, wherever you're listening to this, it is holy ground.